Yeah, so submission part four, we're going to talk about honoring your parents. And there's going to be two parts to this message. Actually, there's going to be three parts, but part three just won't fit. And so and I'll tell you more about that at the end of this message. But I'm going to actually add a third part to this message. And we're going to put it online for uh, those of you who are parents. For sure you'll want to watch it uh, by Thursday. And it'll be totally free, just like everything we have on our website. Um, but there's going to be three parts. But there's going to be two parts that I'm going to get to this morning. And uh, first part of this message in honoring your parents is for all of us. doesn't matter, teenager, young person, a middle-aged, old, uh, for all of us, honoring our parents. How do we honor our parents? And then in the second part of this message, we're going to change gears, and I want to talk to those of you who are parents and you have kids in your home, and I want to talk to you about the absolute, unbelievable, eternal importance of you training up your kids to honor and respect you in your home, all right? And I know that some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I mean, Chris, honor your mother and father. Isn't that a Sunday school lesson? Like, this is a big church here. You're going to ask us to color a, a picture at the end of this or something? And I wanna, I'm going to show you a bunch of scriptures, and you're going to change your mind very quickly. Honor your father and mother is not just a Sunday school lesson for kids. It's for all of us, and we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. How many of you would like to live a long, good life? Just put your hands up if you would like to live a long, good life. Okay, some of you would not like to live a long, good life. <laughs> you are weird people. I would like to talk to you. Um, but if you want to live a long, good life, here it is. A long life and a good life. See that? That it may go well with you. That's quality. And that you may live long in the, lo in the land. That's quantity. It's quite a promise from God. Long and good life, quality and quantity, and it's all hinging on one thing. Will you honor your parents or not? Honor your father and mother, and you get this blessing. Somehow God thinks it's that important. Don't honor your father and mother. Miss out on this important blessing. That's a huge thing. The other thing I want you to notice, sorry, I just talked about the Sunday school thing that some people might think this is a Sunday school lesson. I want you to notice that it says, children obey your parents, but it doesn't say children honor your father and mother. It just says, honor your father and mother. That's because the children have to obey. When you become an adult, that part changes with your parents a bit. You have to make your own decisions. But honor is for all of us. No age limit. And thank goodness, because that means it doesn't matter whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, whether your parents are 60, 70, 80, you can still cash in on this promise. If you have parents who are alive today, you can cash in on this promise. Let me show you, let me prove to you that this passage isn't just for kids. You'll notice uh, it, they're starting at honor your father and mother that there's quotation marks. So Paul is quoting something here. Can anybody tell me what he's quoting? Ten Commandments, okay? So a couple of you have read your Bibles before. The rest of you need to start reading your Bibles, okay? Honor your father and mother. He is quoting from the Ten Commandments, all right? And uh, now, that is surprising to a lot of Christians. I mean, we all know about the Ten Commandments. Most of us don't know what all ten of them are. But most of us could tell you kind of what we consider the big ones. We know that on the Ten Commandments is do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. Some of you who are a bit more knowledgeable might add in there, you might realize too that do not commit adultery, do not covet, and do not worship idols is also in the top ten. But many Christians actually don't realize that one of God's top ten most important commands in the universe, again, outside of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, but after that one, top ten is the Ten Commandments, and what many people do not realize is that number five is honor your father and your mother. 
Okay? Now, how many of you know the Ten Commandments is for everyone? It's not just for kids. Honor your father and mother is for everyone. Let's go back to the, to the source here. Let me take you right back to Deuteronomy 5.16 and show you commandment number five, uh, uh, the original that Paul was quoting here. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Now, there's something else here about this, this commandment. So not only is honor your father and mother, uh, again, and I want you to notice this too, the Ten Commandments is the foundation for all the moral law in the universe. I mean, all the rest of the commands, there's hundreds of commands in Scripture, all the rest of the commands in Scripture, commands and laws, are basically just commentary on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is kind of the big one out of which other laws stem, okay? So it's pretty important that honor your father and mother actually makes it into there on this list. But there's something else I want you to notice that honor your father and mother actually sticks out among all ten of the commandments. There's something unique and special about honoring your father and your mother. And I don't know if I had never noticed it before, never realized it before, but it really hit me again anew when I was getting ready for this message. But when I read in Ephesians 6, 1 to 2, there's that line there where Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And again, like I said, I don't remember if I never noticed before or what, but uh, I looked at that uh, this past week and I said, the first commandment with a promise, what's he talking about? And so I went back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I read through all the Ten Commandments, and I was actually, and I was amazed at what I found. What I found was that not only is honor your father and your mother the first commandment with the promise in the Ten Commandments, it's the only commandment out of all ten that is directly tied to a promise. Now that's significant. We've got God's top ten list of commands out of which all the other laws and commands stem. And then within that, we've got number five, the only one directly tied to a promise. And of course, we know that there's blessings for, you know, obedience to God in general is blessed. So for obeying all the commands, there's blessing. But in the Ten Commandments, there's only one that's directly tied to a blessing. And that is, so that one just sticks out, it's honor your father and your mother. So you say, what is so special about honoring your father and your mother? What makes that one stick out so much to God? And, and uh, I mean, another good question, which I won't talk about now, but I, I, it's a wonder why we don't consider that one to be such a big deal in our culture. But what is it about honoring your father and mother that is such a big deal to God? Well, it's uh, fitting that we're, we've been in this series on submission. And Pastor Ray, in the first three weeks, has been talking, taking us through how important submission is to God. You can't be close to God without submission. You can't even get saved without submission. God demands submission from us. If you want to follow him, if you want to be saved by him, you must submit to him. And you say, well, what does that have to do with honoring your father and mother? Here's the thing. How, here's the question. How do we submit to a God who we cannot see? How do we submit to a God who we cannot see? One of the things we've been learning in this series is that one of the primary ways we submit to God who we cannot see is by submitting to his instituted authority on earth who we can see. And this is something that we Christians in North America have, I mean, we've missed it because our culture is so anti-authority. We're just so anti-authority. We would love to do spiritual things. We would all love to just show up in church, sing and worship, and feel spiritual rather than actually be spiritual. God demands our submission, and one of the primary ways we submit to God is by submitting to his authority figures here on earth. And so it is through submitting to the government and to leadership, whether it be church leadership or whatever, to bosses and things like that, it is through submitting to authority that we can see that we learn to submit to God who we cannot see. Now here's the thing. Here's how this ties in honoring your father and your mother. Your parents are the primary authority figure God has put into your life. And we all have parents. 
Now, it's, it's a different kind of authority figure in a certain way. Once you, get, once you get old enough and you move out of the house and you get married, it's not an authority figure in the sense that you still obey them because there comes a point where you grow up and you make your own decisions and stuff. But for your entire life, your parents uh, uh, remain an important authority f- a figure, the most important authority figure in your life as far as honor and respect is concerned. And one of the primary ways in which God receives honor and respect from us is by us submitting ourselves to our parents and honoring and respecting them. And and this is why honor your father and your mother is the only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise because what happens is when you soften yourself and humble yourself and give them honor and respect, what you're doing is you're bringing yourself into alignment with God and you're submitting yourself to him as well. And when you disrespect your parents, when you treat them as common, when you treat them as ordinary, when you ignore them and when you neglect them, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. When you disrespect them, it doesn't matter. You're deceived if you come to church and think you're spiritual and you disrespect your parents. Because what that shows is you're into a religion that's about feeling, but you're not actually submitted to God. You don't have a a submissive spirit. And so honor your father and your mother is a vastly important topic. And it's, again, the only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a blessing because that's the one that brings you into alignment with God is to have a submissive heart that honors and respects your parents. Now, of course, someone's protesting. I'm sure a number of you are protesting. But my parents don't deserve it. Let me say a few things about that. First of all, no parents on planet Earth are perfect. So ultimately, No parents have ever existed here on earth that totally deserve honor and respect in every area. But here's the other thing I want you to notice, that this commandment is about you, not your parents, isn't it? It doesn't say, honor your father and your mother if they deserve it. It says, honor your father and your mother that you may live well, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. This promise is about you, not your parents. This is about you being blessed, because your heart is coming right under God's authority. That's what this is about. And, uh, and so in some cases, now of course I know, and, and it's, a ter- it's a tragedy of this sin-filled world. It is a tragedy. I know that some of you here today, and it's been in every service, some of you grew up in homes where your parents did horrible things to you, treated you horribly, they never gave you the love, uh, they, they abused you, they did different things. And you know what that is? It's a tragedy. It's sad. It's one of the saddest things I think on planet Earth is people who are hurt by their parents. And that is a sad thing. But here's what I want to tell you today. Your first step, if you're one of those people, your first step in honoring your parents is you need to forgive them. See, because the thing is, here's what you need to know. Your bitterness and unforgiveness, they did bad things to, me, to you. Yes, they did. And, and, you know, and it's not acceptable. And I'm not trying to mitigate what they did to you, but here's the thing. Your bitterness and unforgiveness isn't hurting them, or it may hurt them a little bit, but it's poisoning you. It's ruining your life. Honor your father and mother is about you. And you know what? This even applies actually after your parents are dead. I talked to a man yesterday who had to learn to honor and talk respectfully about his parents after they died. It's about you coming into submission under God. And so we have to learn to honor and respect our parents. You say, well, how do we do that? And there are so many things we could talk about here. I just, I, I want to briefly just talk about two. How do we honor our parents? And like I said, for some of you, the first step is you just need to forgive them. And may I just say this too. I mean, there are cases too where it's a safety issue. You know, honoring your parents doesn't mean that you need to go into a place that's, that's dangerous for you if, if you have an abusive father or something like that. That's not what I mean at all. In some cases, extreme cases, you may need to honor them from a distance, all right? 
So just understand that. But anyway, you ask, what does it mean to honor my parents? Two things, two really big things, because honor is an action. Uh, one of, I fear that some of us will just hear, honor your parents. Okay, in my mind, I honor my parents. No, no, honor is something you do to them. You have to be proactive about this. And it's the only promise, again, it's the only command with a promise. So here's two things you can do to come into God's blessing in your life and submit yourself to God. First thing is, you, it means you communicate love and respect to your parents with your words. I, I just can't tell you how many people I have, I have talked to over the years, and even recently, you talk to them, and also, you know, the issue of family comes up, and you hear something like, well, I haven't talked to my dad in five years, or 10 years, or 12 years. And, and of course, I sometimes, I know that sometimes it's out of your control. There's nothing you can do about it. Your parents maybe shut down the communication and won't hear from you. This message, I'm not heaping guilt on you, something you can't do anything about. But often what I hear is people who just, they just refuse to call their parents, and they'll have some kind of excuse. Well, they never phoned me. Here's what I want you to remember. This is not about your parents. This is about you. You honor your parents anyway. And a big part of honor means that you communicate to them. You actually pick up the phone sometime and you communicate to your parents love and respect with your words. Absolutely vital. Absolutely vital. Okay? Second thing, what does it mean to honor my father and my mother? Second thing is it means you support and assist them as they get older. The Bible is very clear that it is the duty. Part of honoring your father and mother means that if you are a follower of Jesus, it is your duty, it is your duty to care for your parents and not to ignore and neglect them as they get older. That means financially, emotionally, physically, whatever. It means you do not abandon your parents as they, get, as they, be, as they become older. This is our duty. Let me read you a few passages of scripture. This is all part of honoring your father and mother. I'm going to show you a bunch of scriptures now. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 4 and 8 says this, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first, I want you to notice that first. We live in a culture of passing the buck. It's someone else's job. My, my, my parents and my grandparents, that's the government's job. That's the church's job. And actually, we do this with all kinds of family. Uh, one of the things I hear often in the church is, you guys need to be doing more for my son or more for my daughter, more for my cousin, more for my grandma, whatever it is. The government needs, needs to do more. I want you to notice what Paul says. First line of responsibility is we take care of our own families. You are the first one. It starts with you. Taking care of your parents, your elderly parents, taking care of your grandparents, the people in your family. It starts with you. You don't pass the buck. They should be doing more. He should be doing more. You should be doing more. I should be doing more. That's what it is when it comes to family. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first, them first, learn to show godliness. This is true spirituality. Godliness. You're deceived if you are neglecting your family and your parents are not honoring them and doing spiritual things. You're deceived because this is godliness. Learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So the Bible, now this verse says in the positive, what the Bible often does, it'll say in the positive, here's what you should do and it's good. And then it'll turn around and the Bible will say, and here's what happens if you don't, it's really bad. So in verse eight, we have the negative side of this command. Here it is. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that is a really strong statement. I mean, no self-respecting Christian would ever say, you know, I deny Jesus. I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't love Jesus. I mean, we, we would never say that. 
Yet Paul says, if you neglect your parents and you refuse to honor them and take care of your responsibilities within your family, then he says, it's the same as denying the faith. You're actually worse than an unbeliever. That's a stunning statement because unbelievers are on their way to an eternity in hell. And Paul says, for this believer that does it, it's worse for him. That's pretty strong stuff. Now again, I, I preached a message about a month ago there on integrity, and I talked about how good we are at rationalizations. We like to get ourselves out of our responsibilities by rationalization, and this is certainly one area where we do that. We love to use spiritual-sounding excuses as to why we, we can't fulfill our responsibilities to our parents or to honor them or our grandparents. I already talked about one excuse, which is they don't deserve it. And, and we need to forgive them anyway. It's not about deserving it. But there's other excuses we use. You'll hear people say things like, well, I just feel like God has me in a different season. This is, this is spiritual sounding talk sometimes people use to get out of God's laws. I'm just in a different season. God doesn't have me in a season of honoring and taking care of my parents and taking care of my grandparents. I'm in a season of ministering over here. And uh, let me tell you something. That is, you might think that was the Holy Spirit talking to you, and it is a spirit, but he's not the Holy One, Okay? And let me just show you a passage of scripture. You know, you'll hear other people say, I'm just too busy doing ministry over here to care for my parents and grandparents. Let me, let me just show you something here. Mark chapter 7, Jesus confronts this issue. He said, then he said to the Pharisees, speaking of rationalizations, you skillfully, I love that word, skillfully, you skillfully sidestep God's law. I think all of us are probably pretty skillful in this. You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Here's the fifth commandment again. By the way, the fifth commandment pops up all over scripture. Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Now watch how Jesus is going to apply this. By the way, verse 10 there. Woo, put them to death. Just got to scratch that one out, right? Most of us don't want to just look over that one. But anyway, verse 11. But you say, he points at the Pharisees, but you say... It is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. See a spiritual excuse? I mean, sorry, mom and dad, I would have helped you out financially, but I'm giving it all to missions. Sorry, can't help you. Okay? And this is what Jesus says to that. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Here's the thing. Are we called to do ministry outside of our families? Of course. I mean, we don't want to get so inward focused that we're just with our focus. We don't, we don't, we don't just be inward focused. Of course not. But here's the thing. No matter what ministry God calls you to, your family is always a primary part of your ministry. You need to minister to your family. If you're not going to take care of your parents and grandparents, you know, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, and I know some of you, you live far away from your parents. So, you know, this is going to look a little different on respect. You've got to work that out. But if you're not going to watch out for your parents and your family, if you're not going to be the, the person on the first line of responsibility, who will? God has made this thing a family. It's part of his plan for how we take care of each other on planet Earth. And what I want to do now is I want to show you an absolutely amazing passage of Scripture. And let me just tell you how I got it. You know, sometimes, this is the, my favorite part of this job. And what happens sometimes is I'm getting ready for a message, I'll be looking at certain passages, and this is my absolute favorite thing. When this, when this happens to me, I just feel like, I can't even believe I get paid to do this. And what will sometimes happen to me is I'll be studying some scripture, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will just zing, like a little arrow. I'll get this idea, and it's totally not for me because it's not something I ever thought before. And it'll be like just the coolest passage. And I'll be like, wow, I love this. 
And so three mornings ago, I, I had an experience that I'm looking at Mark chapter 7 and Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, I just get this fing little thought. And, and the Holy Spirit just kind of nudges me. And he goes, you know, Dirksen, check out the crucifixion story and the second last thing Jesus did before he died, before he breathed his last. So I flip over, John chapter 19. What was the second last thing Jesus did before he said, it is finished? And I was amazed at what I found. So let me show you. And now let's just give you a bit of context. Remember what's happening here. I'm just going to read you a few verses. Jesus is on the cross, okay? He is just about to die. He's in excruciating pain. He's in absolutely, in absolute agony, okay? He's got the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders, right? Okay, he is just about to say, it is finished. He, so he's just, about, he's just about to complete the act of salvation, which was prophesied 4,000 years earlier to Adam and Eve. Okay, so I mean, there's just so much going on. I mean, he's just at the center of the universe at this point in time. He is just, all of the, you know, the demons and the angels, all of their attention is focused on this massive event. The Son of God is about to die on a cross. And I wondered to myself, what is Jesus thinking about in these final moments of agony? Well, John chapter 19 gives us a glimpse. And I was blown away when I looked it up in my Bible. I said, this is amazing. Watch this. Verse 24. So the soldiers did these things, 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister, also Mary. What were those parents thinking? But anyway, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, that must have been very confusing for Jesus, okay? Mary and half of, you know, his crowd turns to him. But anyway, okay? So you got Mary, Mary, and Mary. And then verse 26. Now, when Jesus, so now, okay, now we're going to look. Verse 26. Verse 30, he says it's finished. We're moments before it's finished. Now look what Jesus does right now. Second last thing. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Now this just blew me away on this honor your father and mother thing. Jesus is at the center of the universe's attention, about to carry out this amazing act of salvation. He's in absolute physical agony. And what's the last thing he does before he says it is finished? He makes sure his mom is taken care of after he's gone. Is that amazing? That this was on his to-do list and he doesn't forget it. Like, you'd think with all the things happening to him, that's a detail that could just slip his mind. No, 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 no. Just before he's gone, he says, to, and he doesn't just leave her in the care of anyone. He says to his favorite one, you know, the closest one to him, his apostle John, he says, you, this is now your mom. Essentially, he says, she's your responsibility now because Jesus' dad was long off the scene already. Jesus is the eldest son, uh, and the fact that he's passing off the responsibility, him as the eldest son, it proves that during the last few years of his life, he's been caring for his mom, which is amazing when you think of Jesus' last three years of ministry, how busy he was ministering to people. He was the one who was responsible for his mom, taking care of her. And now, just before he dies, he says, and now, John, you make sure you take care of her. And John takes her into his home. I mean, honor your father and mother is such a big deal to God that the Son of God took care of his mom too and loved his mom, okay? That is, that is a really big deal. Now, I just want to, before we move on from here, I want to deal with another side. I mean, if I just stopped here, because uh, I really want to get to the parents and their kids in the home, and I'm going to get there, but if I just stopped here, I know what would happen. Some 
needy parents would abuse this message, okay? So I just want to look at the other side. Okay? You got to honor your parents, no exceptions. Doesn't matter if they deserve it or not, you honor your parents. And you got to work that out in, in whatever ways that you, that you can work that out, okay? I just want to look at the other side here. What I don't want to have happen is after this message, needy mom phones you up this week and says, I, I haven't seen you in 24 hours. And Chris said, honor your parents. And so how can you say, no, I'm coming over for dinner again for fourth night in a row, okay? No. Okay? Honor your father and mother doesn't mean you can't have space between you and your parents, okay? Genesis 2.24. Again, like I said, and this can be abused. That's why I got to give you both sides. Let's put a box here. You can still have boundaries. But even when you put in boundaries, you got to do it respectfully. Honor your parents. You got to support and assist them, yes. But you can have boundaries. Genesis 2.24 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So when a person gets married, they're supposed to be a leaving. There's space between the married couple and, and the parents, okay? And there has to be space. There has to be boundaries. There has to be some distance, even though there's still honor and respect and love and, and support and those sorts of things, okay? Now, you may be a young adult here or something, and you may be wondering, well, I'm not married. You know, when do I get space? So I'm, I'm talking to you now, single people, young adults. If you're 25 and you're living under your parents' roof and eating your parents' food, okay, forget about space. And it's your own fault, okay? Okay? Go out, get a job, move out, pay your own bills, and you too can have space, okay? But certainly, there's this thing, there's a shift there, there's got to be space. And so, you can sit down with your parents, and you can have a boundaries discussion in a respectful way, and you can say, okay, you know what, we're not going to be together two, three, four times a week. You're not going to drop in here all the time, unannounced, to see the kids and the grandkids and stuff. We're, you know, we're going to see, and then you make a plan, whatever it is that's good, that works for you, once a week or whatever, I'm not saying what it has to be, but you just, you work out the boundaries, you do it in a respectful way, and that's really important, okay? And it's valuable. Um, but I, and I want to say one other thing here too, and that is to, to those of you who are needy parents and you're trying to, your whole life is your family. You know what? That's not healthy. That's not healthy. You know, if you're one of those people and you're trying to get your emotional needs met in your kids and your grandkids, here's what I want to tell you. First of all, they're not going to be able to ever fill your needs. That emptiness needs to be, can't be filled just in family. And you're going to ruin your kids. You're going to ruin their relationships. You're going to hurt them and yourself by trying to meet all your needs in them. You need to back off. Emotionally needy people, let me say this to you. First of all, you need to build some relationships outside your family. You have to do it. It's, it's necessary with people your own age. Second thing I want to say to you is, is, is you need to find ministry and service and purpose outside of your family too. You know, there's this thing going on right now, and I just got to talk about it now because it's just a big thing, but uh, people are retiring from work. And I have no problems with people retiring from work. But what I have a problem with is people retiring from life. They don't just retire from their job. They retire from doing anything. And then they live their last 20 or 30 years of their life. They're just bored. So, of course, all they can do is just bug their kids. They just kind of slide into death. Just this long, slow, <laughs> doing nothing. You know, I want to hit death running. I just want to be full right to the end and then, bam, I'm gone, okay? That's how I want to go. And that's how we need to go. You know what? If you're still, some of you want to say, okay, well, you know, I'm just not physically able to do anything anymore. You know what? If you're still breathing, God has a purpose for you. 
if you're still breathing. God has a purpose for you. Why would you sit around and watch TV all day? No. Eh. Don't waste your life. At the very least, you can, you can pray. You can pray for people. You can minister. You can still, if you are breathing, God has a purpose for you. And you need to find some purpose outside of just sitting around complaining that your family doesn't see you enough because you're bored. Okay? And you know, my three grandparents, I lost one already. My grandpa Dirksen's gone. But my, my grandma and grandpa Lowen, my grandma Dirksen, they're, they're just great examples. They're all in their late 70s, very late 70s. And, um, and I admire them. I want to kind of do things like they're doing them. But, I mean, they're all, they're cell leaders or involved in the cell ministry very, very heavily. They're all prayer partners. My grandma Dirksen is a greeter here. You often see her there in the lobby on Sunday mornings. She's also a greeter. She sings in the seniors choir here in town. She's got a big garden. She's got so many friends. She's traveling all over North America constantly. You know, you phone her there. She's not even home. You know, I phone her there sometimes and say, Granny, let's have lunch. And what that means is I'm going to come over and you're going to bake me a pie and some other stuff like that. <laughs> You know, I pay her with my presence. She pays me with food, okay? And, uh, and so I'll phone her up, and I'll be like, Granny. And, and she'll say, well, sorry, you know, actually, I'm busy this week. I can fit you in Thursday. I'm like, ah. I'm your oldest grand. I'm your favorite grandkid, okay? You just drop every, no, no. And you know what? But you know what? That's healthy. That is really healthy. She's got a busy, healthy, full, purpose-filled social life and all that sort of stuff. That's the way we want to go. You don't want to become needy where you're just trying to suck out of your kids all the time, okay? And, and the last thing I want to do, and then we're going to switch to part two here, is I just want to say this too. It, honor is for everyone, all ages. And remember, just remember, but obedience is for children. It, you move out of the house, you get married, you have to make decisions on your own. And if your parents are trying to manipulate and control you, I'll just say two things. If you're that par- parent who's trying to control your kids and they're adults, first of all, I say to you, butt out. Let them make mistakes. Let them screw up. Let them do all that sort of stuff. You're not in charge anymore. And to those of you who are kids with manipulative, controlling parents, you need to have the courage to stand up in an honoring and respectful way and say, we're going to make our own decisions. Okay? Within that then, honor and respect. And if you do it, guys, you can cash in starting today on that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let's shift gears now. And we're going to talk about, now this last little bit, we're going to talk about parents with kids in the home. And we got lots of you here today and getting an amen from one of the little ones back there already, okay? <laughs> I want to talk to those of you who are parents, you have kids in the home, maybe you're a young person here and, and you don't have kids yet, but you're probably going to have kids someday so you can learn some of these principles as well. And I want to talk about parents, the importance, the eternal importance. I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you in the next 20 minutes it, this is, can be a heaven or hell issue for your kids. And I want to talk about the importance of training up your kids to honor and submit to you while they're in your home. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And, and the question I just want to ask you, first of all, is how many of you parents want your kids to live a long, good life? All of us, right? If you're a parent, I mean, unless you have teenagers, maybe. There's maybe a period there where you lose that desire for them to have a long, good life. But anyway, but for them, then you come back to it. If you're a parent, you have a baby, you have these children, you want them to live a long, good life under God's blessing. Yes. We all want that for our kids. Well, the Bible tells us the key ingredient. If you, if you really love your kids and you want them to have a long, good life, here's what you need to train them up in, that is to honor and submit to you. 
And again, you say, well, it, it sounds selfish to train and, 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 and train my kids up to honor and submit to me. It seems like a selfish thing to say, but it's not. Because again, for better or worse, you are in your kid's life and they're gonna, they're, a lot of their relationship with God and how they see God is how they relate to you and see you. For better or worse. In many cases, for us, worse. And we all make mistakes. But, uh, but your kids, are, how are they ever going to learn to submit to God who they can't see if you never teach them how to submit to you who they can see? And God has put you in their life for that reason. He has put you in, that, in their life for that reason. Here's the thing. We live in a culture, and I, and I don't even need to talk about this very long. Well, we all know it. Nobody disagrees with this. It's a fact. We live in a culture that openly promotes rebellion. Isn't that true? I mean, all of us have stories of kids running wild. You know, they're three, four years old, out of control. They're five, six years old, they're already running the home. They're teenagers, completely out of control. We all know people like that. Some of you are sitting here today, okay? There's not condemnation on you. We all got to work on this. But kids out of control. I mean, just sit down with some teachers. If you know any teachers, sit down and talk with them about what passes for normal behavior in our schools these days. And just remember that if your friend is a teacher in the Hanover School Division, whatever they tell you is going to horrify you, and it won't be nothing compared to what's happening in school divisions around the country, because this is one of the best ones. We just live in a culture where youth are, are rebellious, and it's considered normal. And of course, as Christian parents, we have our list of culprits. We know who, who the bad guys are who are making this happen. It's the music industry, you know, it's MTV, it's entertainment, it's movies. These are the things that are causing our kids to be rebellious. And it's the devil, it's the school system. And you had all these things are bad. All these things are exasperating the problem, no question. Here's what I want to tell you today. The entertainment industry, the movie industry, the music, the devil, they are exasperating the problem, but they are not the primary culprit. The primary culprit is us as parents and our parenting. You say, whoa, oh, condemning, ouch, okay? Let me tell you something. That is the most hope-filled thing I can say to you if you're a parent. Because if we're the culprits, it means we can change what we're doing and change what's the result. If the culprit really is the culture, that is a hopeless thing to believe because it means that no matter how well you parent your kids, you're doomed to lose them. I just refuse to believe that. I believe that God has given parents innately, we may lose it, we may give it up, we may throw it away, but I believe God has wired it that it's supposed to be that parents are supposed to have the ultimate influence in their kids' lives that should be stronger and override the culture. And of course, there's the odd child because of choices and free will. You could parent them well and they, they still end up you know, in wrong, but as a general rule, okay? And so let me tell you what I believe is the number one enemy of godly child-rearing that is destroying kids inside and out of the church. Because the truth of the matter is, you look at Christian families in our culture, you look at non-Christian families, rebellion is an issue in both places. So we take them to church and they still end up rebellious. And then we think, well, it's just the stage. And we, what we don't realize, what we fail to realize, is that rebellion and disrespect are a deep-rooted spiritual problem that will keep our kids from God. You can bring them to church and teach them theology, but if you bring them up with that rebellion, they cannot relate to God. They cannot. Because God will not have rebellion. He resists the proud and the hard-hearted. So let me tell you what I believe is the number one enemy of godly child-rearing and, and, and bringing up godly kids in our culture, and it is this. It is permissive parenting. 
permissive parenting. It is rampant among Christians just as much as with non-Christians. It is the whole bent of our Western society. It's permissive parenting. And permissive parenting is this. It's this idea that I can raise good children without discipline. It's this idea. Everywhere in our culture, we're taught it. It's rammed down our throats. I'm sure someday they're going to try and force us to do it. But it's this idea that you cannot discipline your kids that you can raise good kids just by encouraging them and saying positive things. And when they do bad things, you just ignore that. Just, just encourage the positive things. And I'll tell you something, it's not biblical and it'll ruin, it'll ruin your kids. It will absolutely spoil and ruin them. Just like if you leave a jug of milk out of the fridge for too long, you spoil it. It's perfectly good milk, but you'll spoil it, you'll spoil your kids too. You'll spoil your kids if, if you don't uh, discipline them because kids need this. It's like, you know, um, and I'm going to show you why in just a minute. Some of you are going, where's the research? I'm going to show you my research in just a moment, okay? I've done lots of research. I can hardly wait to that point. But anyway, um, every human baby is, is born with tremendous potential. Every single human baby, you know, it made in the image of God. doesn't matter how bad their parents are. doesn't matter what situation they're born into. Billions of babies uh, being born. And, and every single one of them born with tremendous potential. When they're born, they're born with a tremendous, I mean, God has a plan for them, how he's going to fit them into his sovereign plan for the universe. And they have a tremendous potential to be loved by God and to love him back. They have a tremendous potential to be loved by others and build relationships. Every baby, tremendous potential. But here's the thing. Getting that baby from the place where they have tremendous potential to where they actually fulfill that potential isn't automatic. They, there's some necessary, super, super, super important necessary ingredients that they must have along the way or they can't develop from having potential to fulfilling the potential. And a couple of things they need. First of all, and I preach a whole message series on this, the most important things they need, love and godliness, but especially love. They just need love. They need, that is like a vitamin. It is, they need it. And if they don't get it, it stunts their growth. They can't become all that God wants them to be, but there's a second one. It's right underneath love and it comes out of love. Again, without love, discipline doesn't work. Without love, discipline is a, is, is a hurtful thing. But right under love and godliness, they also need discipline. And if you withhold discipline, God gives you this tremendous, made-in-his-image baby with wonderful potential. He gives this to you as a parent. If you withhold discipline, it's like withholding healthy food. You withhold something that they need. They actually need it. Without it. They grow up and they cannot, many of them can never be used by God if he can, ever, if he can even reach them. They need discipline as young children in order to grow up to be submissive and humble before God. Now, of course, this flies against, I mean, there's just all these lies in our culture. Let me just talk about a couple of lies in our culture. And uh, they're propagated by, by people who, who never had kids or shouldn't have had kids or absolutely ruined their kids, Okay. But they have a PhD by their name. They teach in the university. And they, they'll teach all kinds of psychology and kid psychology. You know, I have nothing against you if you're a kid psychology professor here. So long as what you teach is the truth. Okay? But they teach these theories and there's stuff like, well, you can just reason with your kids. That's the first one. First lie is that I can just talk my kids into being good. I can talk my kids into being bad. I can reason with my two-year-old son. You know, you know what, son? That is just not right to to kick, beat, and break, and yell and scream. You, you, are, you are a child of God. I'm just going to speak encouragement into you. You know what? Have any of you ever tried? No, I won't get, I won't get hands right now. <laughs> I'm thinking of a bunch of instances, because we all know people who have tried this parenting. 
and I'm trying to help some of you before you try it too. I'm thinking of one little boy in particular in our cell group years ago, you know. You won't know who this is, okay? They don't come to church here anymore. Don't even try to figure out who it is, okay? That little boy that came to our cell, and every week this boy would ruin the cell meeting, okay? Absolutely ruin the cell meeting. He was the only, but we, none of the rest of us had kids at that point. And uh, this kid would ruin the cell meeting. Then he would ruin stuff in our house. And I remember, you know, and he'd be, yeah, and then throwing things and down the stairs throwing stuff. And I'd be like, Psst. and, and I, you know, and I'd be, you know, fantasizing tying this kid up and throwing over the roof. And <laughs> it was therapeutic for me, okay? Imagining all the things I'd like to do to him. And then this is what his dad would do dozens of times. Every cell meeting was the same thing. He would just take him aside. Now, we'll just call him Benny, little Benny. Little Benny, that, why would you do that? That's terrible, okay? That's not how we act, little Benny, okay? We're not going to do that, okay? We're not going to do that, okay? 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 <laughs> it's stupid. It's stupid. And it doesn't work. And not only do they ruin your life, and nobody wants to be around you, okay? But you're ruining them. That's the thing. You're withholding the thing they need. They need discipline. And it's a lie that you can just talk your kids into being good. There's a second lie. Here's the other lie. The lie is, and this is another big one in our culture, if you just let kids be free, just they're, they're, they'll find the inner goodness. Just let them work out their rebellion. Just encourage them, and eventually they'll come back to the, to the right path. And you know what I want to say to that? It's a word I learned from my mother. Balderdash, okay? <laughs> kids, okay, born with wonderful potential, yes, automatically to turn out good with you, uh, without you giving them discipline, wrong. Now again, some of you may have come through a system where you learned some things that are totally different from what I'm teaching, and you're going, okay, where's your research? Okay, show me the research that you've done and where you found this, and, and so I'll show it to you. Here's my research. That worked better in the five o'clock service. It hasn't worked ever since, okay? <laughs> this is the Bible, okay? <laughs> this is my research, okay? Now, I'm gonna show you some things from the Bible now, Everything I've said to you so far about discipline and the lies that are in our culture is, is actually in here, okay? And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm not just making these things up. But before I get there, I gotta, before I even talk to you about that, because I don't want some of you to squirm out of it and swiggle out and make exceptions and blah, blah. So I've got to draw you into a snare and a trap first, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you three questions. I just want you to raise your hands. They're very simple questions. You're just going to raise your hand if you agree with me. If you don't agree with me, don't raise your hand. If you agree with me, raise your hand. Very simple, right? Okay? Uh, how many of you agree that this is God's word? Raise your hand. Well, that was a pretty easy one, right? Okay. Next, how many of you believe that there are no mistakes in, in, this, in this book? Raise your hand. Okay. Most of you. Just about got you locked up and trapped. Okay. And the last one I want to do is this. How many of you believe that, okay, if God wrote it and there's no mistakes, how many of you believe that this is the best advice on parenting that's out there compared to anything else. Just raise your hand. Some of you are a little more reluctant on that one, okay? Good. Now that you have agreed with me on all those sorts of things, let me show you from the Bible what the Bible says about raising good kids. And you remember that first lie we talked about there about this thing that if you just leave kids alone, just leave them alone, they'll turn out good. Let me show you what the Bible says about that. Proverbs 22 verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Okay, folly. It's like a genetic defect. They're born with this tremendous potential. They're born in the image of God, and yet every single one of them 
has this defect in them. It's called folly or foolishness or sin, rebellion. Something that will keep them far from God and hurt them, okay? But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, I know some of you are changing color right now. You're hyperventilating. And that's because spanking hysteria is taking over you right now. And you are just terrified that I'm about to ram spanking down your throats. So let me just calm you down, okay? Let's take your made in Canada, politically correct spanking hysteria, and let's just put that on the shelf, okay? <laughs> because I promise you that in this message, I will not tell you to spank or not spank, okay? I'm not going to do it in this message. I'm going to talk about spanking on the internet later this week. Everybody says, oh, I've got to go on the internet and see what he says about spanking. <laughs> okay? But I'm not going to do it, okay? So just right now with me, take a deep breath. Those of you who are very hysterical about spanking and just <sighs> deep breath. He's not talking about spanking, okay? Good. Let's look at this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but discipline, <laughs> just, we'll just forget the wrong, discipline drives it far from. Look, look at this verse. Every child has folly, foolishness, which leads to death, and they need your help to drive it out. The Bible, this has been around thousands of years. God wrote it. He knows how kids are made. He knows how he made you. He knows how you set up the family. And he says they can't get it out of their own system. They can't get it out by self-discipline. They can't get it out by their own choices. They need someone else who loves them very much, their parents, to externally apply discipline to them to drive the folly out. It's the only way they can be cured. And if you withhold discipline, what you are doing is condemning your children to a condition, a disease called foolishness. And the Bible, in the Bible, foolishness is not goofing off. In the Bible, foolishness, sin, rebellion, and death always are all together. They're all the same thing. They go hand in hand. Let me show you another scripture here. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Foolishness always ends in death. Look at this. Discipline your son. There's a, it's a command. Discipline your son. For in that there is hope. How many of you, I mean, if you're a parent and you have kids, you want to hope for your kids that they're going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's my biggest thing that I hope and pray. Jesus, that they would spend eternity with you. I want to have hope. You want to have hope for that? You must discipline them. Discipline your son because in that discipline there is hope. But look at this. Do not be a willing party to his death. If you withhold these valuable nutrients, like I said before, you're stunting their growth. They need someone to externally apply discipline to them to help them submit. And if you don't, you are putting them on a path to foolishness and death and sin. And it, the Bible says you're, you're an accomplice to it. By you withholding what they need, you are an accomplice to them than going on and living a foolish, sinful, wicked life. And if you want to see something even more serious, look at this next one. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you <clears throat> discipline him, he will not die. Let me just stop there for just a moment. If you discipline him, he will not die. Let me talk to you, to you ladies for a moment. You know what? God made moms. It's so amazing. God, moms are the best thing in the world. They're nurturers. They're loving. Um, and, and they're caring. And maybe you're a mom here today and you don't even have a husband or, or, a, or a male figure there to help you with discipline. But your natural bent is more, usually, in most cases, your natural bent is more to the nurturing and loving side. And so sometimes you'll, you'll run into moms and they just don't, they can't stand to see their kids cry. They want to nurture them. And here's what I want to say to you. Because you think that you're damaging your kids when you apply painful consequences for discipline. Whatever those painful consequences are. Again, I'm not talking about spanking. There's many different effective forms of discipline. 
But you think that you're damaging your kids if you make them cry. Here's what the Bible says. If you discipline him, he will not die. You're not damaging him. You're not damaging her when you apply painful consequences. You want to see what damage is? Look at this. And if you discipline him, okay, here we go. If you strike him with a rod, we'll just say it again, but I'm not telling you to spank, but here we go. You will save his soul from Sheol. Did you see that? I told you before, this, is a heaven, this could be a heaven or hell issue for your kids. If you withhold discipline from them, not only are you sending them to a life of foolishness, where does foolishness end up? Death and Sheol or hell. If you discipline them, they won't die. You're not damaging them. No, 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 you are not. And if you don't discipline them, then you are damaging them. That is very serious if you're a parent here. I mean, the biggest thing for us, we want our kids not just to live a long, good life in this lifetime, but forever we want our kids to love Jesus. The consequences of withholding discipline from your kids are so severe that the Bible actually says that parents who lack the courage to discipline their kids don't love their kids. Look at this, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the, uh, spares the discipline, okay, hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent. Diligent, you can write in there, consistent. All the time. Not just disciplining once in a while when I have the energy, but day in, day out, I'm signed up to discipline because my kid needs it. You wouldn't not feed your kids for a day. You wouldn't not shelter them. You wouldn't not clothe them for a day. How dare we go a day or a week or a month because we don't feel like it? Discipline them. If you love them, you will be diligent, consistent every day. You will discipline them. Again, many of us have heard the quote, I just, I just love my kids too much to make them cry. I love my kids too much to discipline. You know, I love a quote. My brother Stefan, I've heard him use this a couple times. He always says to people who tell him that, he says, you don't love your kids too much, you love yourself too much. You lack the courage, you lack the moral fortitude to do what's necessary for your kids' good. You don't want to expend the energy, whatever it is. Yes, it can be uncomfortable. Yes, it can cause distress even for the parent to do a bit of disciplining and it costs energy. Yes, yes, and yes. If you don't discipline your kids, it's because you love yourself too much, not because you love your kids too much. If you really love your kids and you care about their eternity, you are going to discipline them. Let me show you a sobering example from Scripture of what can happen when we fail to discipline our kids. And this is just a, this, this story puts a little bit of the fear of God in me. Um, King David, we all know King David, yes? King David, one of the most famous characters in the Bible for many people. He's their favorite character. I mean, a man after God's own heart. He wrote tons of psalms. I mean, there are prophecies in Ezekiel and in different places that he's going to reign with Jesus forever and ever. He's going to be in heaven. When Jesus comes back to earth, he's going to be on the new heavens and new earth forever and ever and ever. David is going to be with Jesus forever. Man after God's own heart loved God. But how many of you know that even though David loved God so much and he was such a great man of God, that he was a terrible parent? He was a terrible parent. He had 17 sons. The Bible only gives us details about four of them. Let me talk to you about those four. Because all four of them, um, or for sure three, and, and we don't know the rest of his sons, maybe even more, uh, are going to be in hell. So David's going to spend eternity with Jesus. A bunch of his kids are going to be in hell. That's scary to me. That a guy who's that godly, who loves God, he's really godly and loves God, how can he raise wicked on their way to hell sons? Let's talk about his sons. Let's talk about Solomon, first of all. 
And we tend to think of Solomon as a good guy because he started out good. And certainly out of the four, he was the best. But read 1 Kings chapter uh, 11, verses 1 to 10, and you hear how Solomon's life ended. Solomon started good. He didn't even just end mediocre. He ended completely away from God. At the end of his life, 1 Kings 11, 1 to 10, just read it, because again, most of us think of Solomon positively. It's because we don't know much about the end of his life. At the end of his life, 700 wives, 300 concubines, completely left God. You read 1 Kings 11, he left God and went into idolatry. This is why God split up the kingdom of Israel. He was punishing Solomon. He completely left God. He built an idol to Moloch. You know what Moloch was? Moloch was one of the worst idols and the things that God detested the most in the Old Testament. Moloch was an idol where you would sacrifice your babies to a demon god. Solomon, King Solomon, built one of those for a bunch of his wives, and he had people sacrificing babies to a demon god in his palaces, completely away from God. He's the best of the four that that the Bible tells us about. There was Amnon. Amnon was David's firstborn son, his eldest, okay? Amnon grew up, lusted after his half-sister Tamar, planned out a rape, carried out, a violent, carried out the rape violently, then rejected his half-sister, thereby ruining her life. Two years later, David's third son was so mad at Amnon, the first son, two years later that Absalom planned a party, had invited Amnon to the party, got Amnon drunk, and then murdered him. So we've got rape and murder now in three of David's oldest kids. Well, then Absalom went on from there, and he decided to rebel against his father and take the kingship away from him. He gathered together all of David's concubines, put them in a tent on the palace roof in front of all of Israel to see, and slept with each of them individually to humiliate his father. Then he built up an army, chased his father David into a wilderness, and tried to kill him so he could have the kingdom for himself, during which time he himself was killed a rebellious, hateful, wicked son. And then there was Adonijah, the fourthborn. He came right after, uh, right after Absalom. Adonijah didn't uh, rebel as early as Absalom did and, and Amnon. Uh, he waited till David was almost dead. And David was just about dead. God had already said that Solomon's going to be king. David had agreed with God. He was going to make Solomon king. And just before David died, just before Solomon could be crowned king, Adonijah rebelled. He got a bunch of powerful people from Israel together, said, I'm going to be king. It was only by the sovereign hand of God that David and Solomon heard about his plan. They managed to thwart his plan. Amazingly enough, they had mercy on him. They didn't kill him, even though they could have. Amnon was so rebellious, deep to the core of his heart, against God and against the king, that after David died, he continued to have political intrigues to overturn his brother Solomon. And finally, Solomon had to, had to kill him because he was just so rebellious. And so here we have, again, this is, this is serious stuff. Man of God, wrote big chunks of the Bible, loved God, going to be in heaven forever, raising a whole bunch of wicked, wicked, wicked sons who will spend eternity away from God. Say, what does this have to do with honoring your parents and discipline? Well, there's an amazing, the Holy Spirit loves to give us these little jewels to help us so we don't follow in these footsteps. 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 to 6 gives us insight into why and how a man of God could raise such bad kids. Here it is, right at the story. This is right at the, at the beginning of the story about Adonijah. Let me read it. About that time, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, now look at this. 
Now, his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? God put that verse in there for us to know. He's giving us a window into why this is happening. Right at the beginning of the story, he is giving us a window into why Adonijah and so many of other David's sons are bad. And there's other factors too, I'm sure, and they had to make their own free will choices, yes. They'll be responsible to God for their own actions. But the Holy Spirit is telling us right here one of the main reasons why they were the way they were. It's because David was a terrible father and refused to discipline them. Now here's the thing I want to say to you. We don't know David's reasons why he didn't discipline them. We don't know. Was he too busy? Was he just too permissive? We don't know. But here's the thing. Whatever your excuses are for not disciplining, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what David's excuses were. All that matters is that in the end, he didn't discipline them. And he didn't discipline them, and they grew up to be rebellious and far from God. We need to pray to God and say, Lord God, give me the energy and the courage to do what's right for my kids. Let me wrap this message up with this. Say, what am I going to do next? Let me tell you what not to do next. Men especially, do not get into your cars or after the service, turn to your wife and say, we're going to crack down on the kids now. <laughs> you know, we're just ah, going to crack down on them. Whoa. And here we go. And just haphazardly, you know, I'm just going to start disciplining my kids. No, that is not what I'm telling you to do at all, at all, at all. M- discipline must come out of love. It must come out of love, first of all. First thing, second thing I want to tell you is this, and just remember this. Discipline must be intentional. It must be consistent. It must be just. That means fair, and it must be orderly. It must be intentional. It must be consistent. It must be just. It must be orderly. You don't just haphazardly start cracking down on your kids. You'll hurt them, you'll, and, and, and it, it'll backfire, and it won't work. Especially if you've never been you know, disciplining up to this point. And you need to pray. So here's what you need to do. You need to prayerfully, you need to not just go away from this message and go, okay, I'm going to discipline my kids and then never think about it again. You need to take a chunk of time. If you have kids, I mean, heaven and hell could be in the balance here in your kid's future. You need to prayerfully, methodically think through and make a discipline plan that works in your family and for your kids. And you need to know you never discipline out of anger. Never, 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 never. Always out of love, always out of justice, always in a way that you've communicated to the kids that they knew the results, okay? You need to plan this out. You need to have a discipline plan. So let me give you two resources to help you make a discipline plan, okay? Here it is. They're both going to come up on the screen. And the first thing I want to I really encourage every one of you, if you're a parent here or if you think someday you're going to be a parent, is I want to encourage you to read through the book Dare to Discipline by James Dobson, Okay? Just read through this book. Now some of you are going, oh, it's old-fashioned, James Thompson. Yes, oh, sorry. Okay. Why didn't you just say, read a book about discipline? I'll tell you why I didn't just say, read any book about discipline. The reason is because 9 out of 10 of the books out there that talk about discipline in our culture right now are garbage. They're trash. They should just be burned up. They're not even worth the paper they're written on. And I know this one is trustworthy. My wife and I each went through it this summer. We took a long period of time. We went through it carefully, systematically, prayerfully. These principles are biblical. They've been used by millions of parents for many, 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 you know, hundreds and, well, thousands of years going back to the Bible, okay? And these principles work even though they're old-fashioned to our culture. But I'd rather have something that works and that has been working and that is based on God's word. And now some of you might be sitting there, oh, what are we, like a bunch of nerds. We're going to just read a book now about this? You know, again, think, I mean, you owe it to God and your kids to not neglect this thing of discipline. 
It is a tiny investment, tiny, tiny investment to, to read a book, to buy a book, to read a book. You can find this book. We've got a ton of copies in our library. You guys are the last service. I can pretty much guarantee you there's none left, okay? Oh, shoot. You know, you're cheap. You're a cheapskate, okay? You know what? It's an investment. Here's what I want you to do. Don't wait till it comes back. I know what some of you do. I'm just going to wait till it comes back. No, you won't. By then, you'll have forgotten about it. The urgency will have worn off, and you'll just go right back to your life in the ruts that you've been in. It's easier to stay in the rut. I want to encourage you. This could really help you. You go to the bookstore right after this, and you order. You just say to them, mark me down. Here's my phone number. I'm ordering, you know, uh, Dare to Discipline by James Dobson. And, of course, some of you are sitting there, oh, you're trying to make money off us now. We don't make money off that bookstore. It barely pays for itself, okay? James Dobson will make money off you. We won't, okay? And if you don't trust me, just order it off Amazon. I don't care where you get it. Just read it, okay? <laughs> the second thing is this. Go on our website if you're a parent. This Thursday, it's all free. I didn't have time now. We're completely out of time. I'm over time. But we're going to have a whole bunch of practical tips on discipline, different staff people talking, and we'll, we'll expand on this message quite a bit. And uh, you can go on online on Thursday, mark it down on your calendar, and you can go check it out, and, and we'll have it there. All right? Now, let's pray. If you're a parent here and you have kids at home, I want you to put your hands out like this. Okay? If you have kids at home, put your hands out like this because I want to pray for you. And the rest of you who don't have kids at home, you can just be praying along with me for all of us parents who do. It's a big challenge. You know, there's just a quote. It just runs through my head. It runs through my head. A quote I heard a number of years ago from a man an evangelist, he said, God has not given us kids to populate hell. But it's a challenge to raise kids for heaven in this culture. So I want to pray for each of you parents. You have kids at home right now. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray a blessing on you. God's help to you. And those of you who don't have kids at home, you're just going to pray along with me for them. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we come to you. I want to pray, first of all, that every single kid represented here today by parents is going to spend eternity with you in heaven, Jesus. That's what we want. Jesus, we repent of believing the lies the culture teaches us about discipline isn't important. We repent as well of not having the courage to follow through and to actually discipline our kids. Jesus, I pray that you would give us right now as we hold out our hands to you, Jesus, I pray that you would bless us with courage and with wisdom and with revelation to be godly, to know how to discipline. Give us a roadmap for the best ways to discipline, effectively discipline our kids and to raise them for you. In Jesus' name, amen.